Ah, yes, friends, wake up on a Monday morning. Sometimes I like to just fire things up a little bit here on OGP, One Giant Podcast, where, as always, I'm Adam Armbrecht, hosting this, hosting the Locked on Nets podcast, if you're into that sort of basketball thing. And over there, the generational season ticket holder, fan of the New York football giants, the healthy, wealthy, wise. And I got to say, buddy, all dressed in black for YouTube, looking looking pretty sharp this morning, Andrew Makowitz. Uh, I'm, I'm tightened up. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling good, Adam. You know, we got our first taste of of somewhat relevant football from from the Giants last night, and man, there is a lot to unpack. Well, and yeah, let's just start with the idea of the games <laughs> before the game was starting yesterday. I was like, man, this is how you know you're desperate for it, and and because of the way the Giants approached it of not of not putting out their starters for any other preseason games, the third one finally comes, and it almost I mean, it felt much closer to a regular season game in terms of before the kickoff than it normally would. Cause I'm like, I just haven't seen anybody. Like I just haven't seen anyone out there on the field. It's really going to matter for this team. Adam, you know, what's crazy. And I was going to ask you about this. Is there any other sport or any other situation that you could think of where the preseason matters as much in the NFL as it does anywhere else? Like think about like basketball preseason. You're like, uh, wake me up when when they tip off on Christmas, right? Like that's when people start caring about basketball. When you talk about like baseball, maybe you you like tune into one of the clips of like one of the sports shows showing like Aaron Judge or somebody hit a home run, and then they're like, and they lost forty seven to one. Like it didn't, it doesn't even matter, right? But in in the NFL, it's like these rosters, like the 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 idea between making the roster and missing the roster is so razor thin, and and there's so many competitions for like who's going to be the starting quarterback. Whereas like in the NBA or any of these other places, like you could be a backup sixth man and still play the majority of the game. Whereas if you don't win the starting job, you look like Gardner Minshew and you get sent out of Jacksonville for a bag, bag of balls. Right. I, I could tell you right now what the Brooklyn Nets starting lineup is, what their bench looks like and who their two way contract guys are. Right. Like, you know, that stuff pretty much the second you get out of the draft, almost, you know, and you get some summer league games, et cetera. But to your point, yeah, it's very rare that you look at another sport and you're like, wow, these games matter. And I think that like the NFL is now getting to that place where we shouldn't be overemphasizing the preseason games anymore based on the way a lot of teams handled it last off season. And now this off season again. So with that, I think ex- expectation, I had a lot of reactions from yesterday. There's a lot of things that we want to get to. This was the final dress rehearsal and also the first dress rehearsal. So the Giants jammed it all right in there to game number three, one half for the starters. Uh, As we move through it, it's worth noting that the Patriots in the second quarter did not have all of their starters in. They started to go to their backup. So we temper some of the expectations around what we saw. Let's get this one out of the way here before we dive into injuries and then some of the takeaways we had here. This is... The defense is good, right? I mean, like, I, I, we're not going to belabor this. All these starters look really good. There's a there's a player group we're going to touch on, but I think the defense is exactly as you want to see it performing in these types of games. It's interesting to still watch how defensively the front, it, it, it's still going to need a little time to get after the quarterback, but the coverage now allows you to say, okay, take the extra half second to get that pressure there and we'll handle things on the back end. Yeah, we'll start with the defense because they definitely showed up uh, yesterday at MetLife. Yeah, they gave up two, basically two field goals in the entire half of a mixed bag of Cam Newton and a little bit of Mac Jones. And, you know, you look at Bradbury looked awesome. You look at Rodarius Williams, who I think really showed up nicely, had a couple of really, really good plays where he was 
he was in the pocket of, of the wide receiver and they had no time to do anything. And I mean, you, you got to say Blake Martinez being a tackling machine and then making like the most athletic play. I think Blake Martinez has ever made in his entire life where like it's a 40 yard ball that goes over his head. He doesn't even see the ball and he just instinctively knows that the, that the receiver's trying to catch it and he sticks his hands out and it falls right into the bread basket. Amazing play there. Got to feel excited for how this defense performed. Yeah, they'll love it. And that's why I want to get it out of the way, so to speak, because the positives are not that hard <laughs> to get excited about, including the Martinez play, which, like you said, I didn't know he had that ability. And it's funny. Um, I think Cam Newton threw a perfect ball there, right? It was a perfectly thrown ball over the top. And it just, as it comes down, Martinez makes a great play. So a lot of positives there. And we're still going to touch on some other positions. The negatives coming out of this, the injuries that the Giants will have two weeks to kind of figure out coming into this basically Everyone started to say, listen, all these players, Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay and you know Saquon Barkley, there's still some you and I have batted that around a little bit, but it seems like everyone's everyone's trending in the right direction. We're all going to be ready for week one. And then in this game, you get Darius Slayton comes down with an ankle injury. He leaves the game, doesn't return. You get a calf injury for Evan Ingram. He leaves and doesn't return. Uh, level of concern around these two injuries, two full weeks to get yourself healthy. But my, my takeaway is just, well, we already had some injuries in that group. Now we're talking about adding a couple more potential, just things to monitor. Like we're going to walk into the season with Ingram, Slayton, Rudolph, uh, Galladay, Tony, Barkley. That's six <laughs> offensive weapons that you're at least going to say, are you a hundred percent week one? So my initial thought after seeing a couple of, of additional injuries yesterday was, man, the under week one for the Giants versus the Broncos might be like the best bet of all time because you have a Broncos defense that's really, really good. You have an offensive line for the Giants that we'll get into what happened with them You know, last night. You have all of these injuries to the Giants' perimeter weapons all over the place and you have teddy bridgewater who's the check down king going up against the the great giants defense the one that we think is looking really promising i'm like man what could the like like are the first to 20 wins that game for sure it feels like at this point so that was my initial thought as i go right to my, my gambling 13 10 and the giants win right right exactly <laughs> like it's gonna have to be one of those games right yeah I, I to be honest with you i have a lot more concern like Earlier in, in in training camp and and the first couple preseason games, you want to keep people out. You like we said, we want to start seeing people trend towards playing, participating, getting reps. Like I I don't know if we're progressing to be honest. Like maybe you could say Saquon is progressing because he finally got some live drills in. You know, against the Patriots earlier in the week, he was out on the field running 90 percent, made a couple cuts with Daniel Jones, like catching the ball. So like I feel like he's on the right path. But to Kadarius Tony, like, you know, th there's talk, not talk about his potential COVID issues with him and how it's impacting him. You haven't seen Kenny Galladay at all. Evan Ingram, uh, I don't know if you know Adam because you know, I know he's one of your favorite players and you have blinders on. But like, he's gotten hurt a little bit in his career. So him being injured after like one quarter of actual play in the last six months is concerning. Like, all these things are very concerning because – how do we know what product we're going to have on the field if none of these guys can get on the field? And this is a little bit of that thing, right? It, it may become a theme of this episode. We'll see where my mental state is. That when, when you don't have the preseason games, and like you said, we're on the outside looking in, hearing things from practices, et cetera. You, you like the progress certain players are making. Okay, great. And then when you only get this one sample, like I, I do wonder, 
How does Joe Judge come out of that game? Does he come out thinking, boy, for everything that we built up to this this first half of this third preseason game, that is not the expectations I had for, for a number of different spots there, let alone then now injury concerns. Okay, what is that potentially going to cost us? And you mentioned Ingram. This is a guy who was finally healthy last year and also gave a very inconsistent season. So it's this mixed bag of, of always you know expectations and then the return on that investment. In that regard to what, what we're going to take away from this game, Daniel Jones. So we're, we're going in order here of maybe trying to put out some positivity. He, he though, um, gave you what we've come to expect, I think, from Daniel Jones. A lot of good. I think the real positives are the accuracy, 17 to 22. So he, he got the ball out, found his receivers. And again, in a game when you didn't have all of these weapons, he still managed to find certain players. Uh, there's a couple of guys, like I thought C.J. Board, again, put good good tape out there for himself. I thought that Willis in the second half of this game, just quickly, he's looked good this preseason. Like he's worthy of a practice squad position. Certainly. Um, the nice touch pass 23 yarder over the top to to uh, Caden Smith to get the touchdown for Jones, right? Like that's the good. And then he gives you the roll out of the pocket, throw back across his body interception from the three yard line. And you, I don't know. You just go, man, like that's, that's the play you can't do like that. You, you just can't do it and we're going to get into maybe what influences that decision making but daniel jones i mean was it more positive than negative for you in this because i could say that that's maybe the one negative play that i put on him in that game as big as it was everything else was pretty nice from daniel okay so yesterday's performance by daniel jones was not only a microcosm of what we've come to expect from him just over his career with the giants so far but also, it's the reason why giant fans, like true blue, big blue giant fans, like really want Daniel Jones or think Daniel Jones has a chance to succeed. Right. And why everyone else in the entire league is like, he is not a starting quarterback. He's not a franchise quarterback. The Giants need to find another quarterback. And the reason is simple. Daniel Jones completed 77% of his passes. He nice looked point. relatively accurate. Now, granted, they were asking him to do a lot of short passes, move down the field, continue drives, but he had that beautiful 23-yard touchdown to Caden Smith, put it in the only spot where literally Caden Smith could, could get it. The defender had no chance, just over his head. Those are the majestic throws that we know Daniel Jones can do, and we talked all offseason about his deep ball accuracy, how it's number one in the league. Like It, it was literally on display. He looked great, and then... When you watch Sports Center or any of the T, you know, the sports TV shows or, or local media, it's like, and then inexcusably, Daniel Jones does this. And you see the 10 second clip of him rolling out at the one yard line, throwing it completely in the chest of a defender on the goal line. And that's when like all giant fans put their head down, like, oh my goodness, like, can we just stop doing this? And everyone else is like, see, you can't trust that guy. He, he should never be there but you completely discount the other 17 out of 22 passes that he completed moving the chains and, and manning the offense without even talking about the offensive line yet. Yeah. And, and that's where I think it does become a little bit tricky, right? Cause that, that's what you're trying to suss out. What is the value here? And to me, there was another play. I can't remember who it was. that came up just short of the goal line prior to the interception. That was an opportunity. Maybe, you know, the stack lines could look even better for Daniel Jones. I, I think about this the same way that I think about Eli Manning at the end of his career in some ways. And we'll that, that we'll leave Daniel Jones there for right now, because part of the reason why I, I this is not an excuse, like the terrible throw. It's an interception. It's in the red zone. It's inexcusable. 
Also, by that point of the first quarter, <laughs> Daniel Jones has already been on his back seven or eight times. I mean, he got crippled from two different directions at one point, uh, you know, coming around the edges on both sides. And this is where we get to the offensive line and what the state of this is. Listen, I have been as big a proponent of, of, of preaching patience and the development of this line. And even Andrew Thomas, who had his struggles yesterday, I can still say patience with him. Like, remember, there's no there's no uh, Shane Lemieux next to him. They ran out Larson. They ran out Wiggins in, in his place. Another injury concern there certainly as well. But the fact that Nate Solder started this game at right tackle after the game, Joe Judge said, don't read anything into that. We're just trying to get people reps. And if you buy into what he's done all preseason, you could say, okay, that could be the case. Like trying to see where is Nate Solder as far as a quality player, but you combine it with how Matt Pert has looked in this preseason. And you spoke to the idea of, oh, Nate Solder, he could be a, a player for this team. He could be starting on this roster. And my only, not rebuttal, my answer was, if that's the case, we are in a world of trouble. And it looks like at least potentially there's going to be a timeshare there maybe. And that means we are in a world of trouble. Like I, I had a total moment of just freak out panic. Like, you know what? I've been, I've been trying to hold back the dam of negativity from Giants fans. And guess what? Dave Gettleman's a disaster. He's blown all these picks. The offensive line is in shambles. Like you have not constructed a well-balanced roster. Like all that stuff ran through my mind. And I brought myself back down to earth. And yet. Well, Adam, I, I will take my small victory lap, even though it doesn't feel good. It, I feel like I have to take a shower after this a little bit. But like dirty lap. I, I, I said early on that, there is a world where Nate Solder is a major contributor. And I said it may even be at right tackle. And, uh, you know, some of the OGP listeners scoffed at it. You certainly really, really put me down, hurt my feelings quite a bit. But we'll, we'll talk about that in our therapy session on, on, on Tuesday. But, like, I thought, hey, listen, he was a starting left tackle. He wasn't good for the Giants. But maybe, you know, he had a year, swing to right tackle, different, different situation, whatever. I did not expect to see Nate Solder starting at right tackle in this game. Like that goes to show how bad Matt Pert has looked in practice. Like you're hearing all the reports. He is getting beat consistently in these joint practices against the Patriots. He did not look very good in the warm-up preseason games before this. He got out there and did not look good again while he was out there playing against the Patriots. Like nothing really good has come out of anything with Matt Pert since like five months ago where him and Will Hernandez were getting shredded in the locker room and like they're working out hard. And you're like, yeah, baby, like you guys are back in this thing. Let's do this. And then it's like a turnstile when Ironically, he gets out there. By right? the way, that, that Hernandez, like, you know, it's like the inside of the, you know, like Hernandez, now somehow Hernandez is one of my favorite linemen. Like I'm like, again, this is bizarro world. And just to the point, like the fact that Matt Pert is struggling is a concern. But just to clarify, Nate Solder didn't look good out there. Like, he did not look good. He avoided getting, like, he somehow magically, the referee chose not to call the holding penalty where he had armbarred a defender across the throat as he was going for Daniel Jones. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even putting him down. Listen, I'll tell you what, he looked, he looked as consistent as he's ever looked. Was he better than, was he better than Matt Pert yesterday? And that's, and that's the concern. Like that's if the he hard looks part. better, like this is such a bad benchmark to be putting of like, Hey, we've got a player that we think maybe shouldn't be starting for us. And the better option 
is a guy that I, I mean, I don't even know if he gets picked up around the league if the, if he, you know, if he gets cut by the Giants. You know what I mean? That, that's that's where his game currently is at. Like he would get a flyer look from a team, come in and be a backup, a veteran, but like he would not be starting anywhere else. And that that sentiment right there is the problem. Is that we are at the same place we were four years ago when you talk about who's starting for the Giants offensive line and talking about them as being backups in the league anywhere else except for in New York, except on this line. Like that's the problem that we're potentially again. I'm trying to temper myself here, but that's that's the precipice that we're on right now. Well, this goes back to our conversation maybe a week and a half ago where you and I were, were talking about like, should we make a trade for an offensive lineman? And you were like, we haven't seen the starters out there competing together again. Yeah. And, and, and I was of the mindset of like, and you, and you had said, no, we, we like, we're talking about depth here. We're not talking about the starters. And I was like, I don't know. All the reports say that it's not great. We haven't really improved. We let go of our best offensive lineman in Zeitler for a cap casualty. Like we got to shore this thing up because we can't have coaches like stepping in and, and pl- pretending to play left guard when we don't have anybody. And I, I, I'm curious to know, like I was, we, we should pull pull off a trade. Go trade a fourth rounder for a, a middle-of-the-road guard. It like, doesn't exist, though. It doesn't exist. And, th- and that's kind of the point. Like, that conversation, yeah. Like, hey, listen, it's in far worse shape based on yesterday's one-half sample size. It's in far worse shape than I anticipated it being. That being the case, other teams are not giving away starting offensive linemen. Like, that, that's kind of the nature of the league, too. If you're on another team and you're a starting caliber offensive lineman, guess what? You're starting for that team. Or... You're, you are the depth backup that they want to make sure that they hold on to. Like maybe you can make a move for it, but I, it's not going to be for a fourth rounder. Like it will be for significant capital to go do it. Now the Giants have the ability to go do that. They have the assets in the draft, but I, I you know, and we talked about. Remember at the time they said, "Oh, you, you trade Darius Slayton, trade uh, what was it Darnay Holmes." And then one half of preseason later, you go, well, if you're trading away, you know, now Darius Slayton's dealing with an injury and we already have other injuries. Like you're going to shred the depth somewhere else to solve this need. I, I get the robbing Peter to pay Paul, I guess, so to speak, because you're going to hurt yourself somewhere else. I just, I don't anticipate the Giants making a move for the simple fact that they're, they're married to this agenda. Like they are married to what this is. Like, this is what they told you. This is why the draft went the way that it did. This is why they didn't take offensive linemen, right? Because it was, hey, we have the guys. And I I don't know, head in the sand about it a little bit, maybe, but I think that they, they still have this belief system there that like these are going to be the offensive linemen, I guess, because it just it's hard for me to be at this point of the preseason, this point of the offseason. You're two weeks away from starting your NFL season, and you're saying that. We've known all along that there were problems here and we just chose not to address it. It's that, that, that again, that's borderline inexcusable. So for me, uh, I'm of the mindset that it's probably better to rip the bandaid off earlier. If you've identified that there is a problem and like that's, that's last year, that's the draft though. That's free agency. That's the bandaid. Okay. Like, that's my point. But, like you were, if you knew from last year, then you have to have known what you could have done already. Well, the, my whole point in, in in saying that is look at the Rams, right? It's like the Rams are a completely different style of general manager, different type of team where it's like we give Jared Goff a boatload of money and then we're like, oh, he's not the guy. Like he's fine. Can we make the playoffs with Jared Goff? Sure. We went to a Super Bowl, you know, with Jared Goff, but like Jared Goff isn't our guy. 
And so like, while we spent a ton of money on him and we're going to get destroyed in, in, in cap hell to be able to move him, we're going to move him and we're going to attach a first round pick and we're going to go get Matt Stafford. Like we need a cornerback. We're going to mortgage the future and trade a bunch of first rounders and get the best cornerback in the league in Jalen Ramsey. Like they just go for it and they, and they deal with the consequences later. This feels like the giants are trying to say, maybe wow. this offensive line can work. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And like, yeah, you're not going to get value, but guess what? You just got another first round pick for trading back to get Kadarius Tony. Like you have an embarrassment of draft picks. It's not working right now. There's no free agent. That's going to be the magic bullet. You have to go to overspend one of our draft capital things to fix this offensive line, because without it, we don't know what's going to happen with Daniel Jones. We'll we get. don't have any idea of whether or not Saquon Barkley is going to be able to run behind this line. Like we haven't even seen him out there. Like, that's a whole nother wrinkle to this thing. When he was healthy last year, the line looked terrible and he averaged like one yard per rush. They they have to go do something like they, they can't go into the regular season saying we'll do a timeshare between Pert and Solder. We're going to leave Andrew Thomas out in an Island at left tackle. We're going to hope that like Wiggins or Larson or Lemieux like can hold on for dear life at left guard. Adam, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the idea that this is just what it's going to be going into the regular season. Okay. So here's my, here'd be my thing. The difference with, between the Rams is Rams were competitive. Like they're a playoff caliber team, right? So when they go and make these moves, it's because they know, look how good we are everywhere, right? Like we are a good enough team to be competing in the playoffs going on deep runs. And we know that Stafford is an upgrade over Jared Goff. And then we can get deeper and hopefully make another Super Bowl run. Right? So that's why you mortgage your future there. Well, this will all get massaged down over the next couple of weeks. But yesterday, as that game was going on, my thought was, boy, this could feel eerily similar to Jerry Reese's tenure as it came to a close, where he was swinging big in free agency, spending big money, bringing in big talent at different positions across this team, all trying to save his job. And guess what? All at the time, not fixing the offensive line. And, you know, now you see, well, you, you got you got Kenny Galladay. You needed the big weapon. You got him. You needed a door. You know, got another cornerback. A door. Look how dominant this defense can be now. Yeah, okay, it can be dominant. But is this team balanced? Is this team fixed? Or whether or not it's one of two things to me, either the Giants believe that this team can be successful and can be strong. And I'm not completely off of that boat that boat yet but i'm no longer referring to it as a bandwagon it is now a boat it's a tugboat and the other side of it would be that the giants have their real concerns about daniel jones long term and that when they made the trade back and when they got the extra assets it was all setting up to say hey guess what if something little special doesn't happen here this season we'll have all of this draft capital and all of these high priced players we have around this roster they can be jettisoned. We can move off of any number of these pieces to another team that's ready to win a championship right now, and we can finally do the thing that we refuse to acknowledge for the last five years, rebuild, right? Instead, it was always, no, 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 we can be competitive, five wins. No, 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 we can be competitive, six wins. You know, it, that narrative has not necessarily played itself out the way that the Giants would have scripted it. And I just, I, I do wonder, it's like the, the very worst scenario of hedging your bets on as far an opposite of the spectrum as possible. On the one side, we're spending the big money because we believe in this team and they can do it. But in the background, 
we're making all of these moves that say maybe we think that this is all over in in three three or four weeks into the season, and we're starting to say now let the rebuild truly begin. It's just it's a very it's a very disconcerting you know notion to have coming out of it. And you and I talked about it. what do we want to see from the offensive line in that preseason game? Didn't have to set the world on fire. Just don't have problems. Don't look bad. Be sound. And they didn't do that. And it immediately erodes the confidence that you have going into the season. We could have had Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern with our 11th pick. And it, and we could have had Elijah Vera Tucker at guard if we wanted to shore up the guard spot in this draft. Instead, we traded back. I love the idea of getting a first-round pick. And we, and we took a wide receiver after spending the most money of any team on a wide receiver in free agency. And it just feels like you said it, you said it all along. They're like, no, this, this, this they're hoping line grow together. The, the fact that we can see the car crash happening from like a mile before the intersection is like, you can do so many things. You can slow down. You can turn off the road. You can do a quite a few different things before you get to that point. And, and this feels like the inflection point for the giants, because listen, you're never as high as your highs and you're never as low as your lows, but the giants have been consistently low in terms of the offensive line for years. Like this is not something new that popped up. And this is the problem is that this was the game plan going in saying, we believe in pert. We want Andrew Thomas to grow. We're going to let Zeitler go. And we're going to hope that we can cobble together some guards throughout all of this. And, and those decisions are looking worse and worse every day. And my only hope in all of this is that I want a competitive Giants team. The Giants, in spite of this offensive line last year, were still down to the final day in terms of being able to make the playoffs, right? Like they were, they were like a, a benching away from a quarterback to like actually make it. Even forget about wins and losses, like you're competing against your division. It, Adam. I don't want to look back after four weeks and the Giants are 0-4 and, and 1-3 and, and it's all because of the offensive line. It's like, man, we could have snuck one or two of those games had Daniel Jones had time to throw the ball down the field. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, and it doesn't it doesn't mean that I don't have confidence in some of these players. Again, they're young players, right? So it's that idea. Will Hernandez all of a sudden, right? We thought that he was a garbage heap guy. Maybe he's not going to make the roster. Now he looks pretty solid. So these guys can get there. It's again, you know, I try to get away from when did you draft the player, fourth overall, those things, right? But it does hang over your head, certainly in that regard. Could have taken Quentin Nelson second overall the year that you took uh, Saquon Barkley, just as a apartif to that as well. Um, let, let's try to close out on some interesting notes and some positive things, I think. Um, when we talk about surprises as the 53-man roster will need to be made by the end of day tomorrow, end of business, as some people like to say, a couple things coming out of this game. Did you know who did not start yesterday or play at all for the New York football giants on the defensive line? Uh, I do not know. Enlighten me. That's BJ Hill. BJ Hill did not play a single rep. Now, Interesting he, to cons- I, I don't know, right? Is this safe? Chicken or the egg? Chick, chicken or the egg, Adam? Is it because he solidified his spot on the roster and he is locked into, you know, that rotational role? Or is it like, we don't know. Let's give some other people a shot. Like wh- where, where did you immediately go when you heard that? I think that Johnson, the third has looked good in camp. And I think that Moa has showed up a little bit and I'm going to be very intrigued to see how it shakes out. If BJ Hill maybe becomes a, a roster cut. 
Because that that when you talk about the starters all being out there for this big game, and he doesn't, you know, he said Leonard Williams played. It's not like he, he's in doubt, right? Dexter Lawrence was out there. Like the fact that you were not in the mix there, there, there there's no world where you are. What are you safeguarding against? Is BJ Hill hands down above anybody else on this roster on that defensive front? Austin Johnson, or you know what I mean, Danny Shelton? Like no, he's not a better than any of these players objectively. Very surprised that he didn't play, and I wonder if this is kind of that thing of right. Last year, he rose up a little bit. We've had a little bit of confidence, but maybe it was a byproduct of Lawrence and Williams and at the time having our big boy in the middle there that's moved on now in uh, Dalvin Tomlinson. So maybe, you know, again, and this is, (laughs) by the way, I have a couple other notes here before we get out of here, but this is the kind of thing where you go, oh, so the Giants saw the writing on the wall at this position and they brought in other talent in the offseason so that if they got to this place, they could cut B.J. Hill and, and not worry about it. So how can I? How can they be doing that and then not be on the offensive line? It's just it's confusing. There's two there's two brain there's two brains going on here, Andy, and it's all freaking me out. Um, is that what, do you have anything on that quickly before we get to our other couple notes? Well, I mean, I think he's he's pretty much solidified on the roster. I'd be shocked considering like who's behind BJ Hill. You have Dave, David Moa, like Willie Henry was out there, I, I think, for a little bit. There's just not the depth there is, is not crazy, uh, you know, behind Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. So, you know, Ray- Raymond Johnson looks like he's probably carving himself out a roster spot. Uh, what I'm interested in is still the cornerback room because like, it's, I- I'm, I'm just confused as to like how this is all going to shake out. Like they made a trade for Josh Jackson, right. And, and you get rid of Yedem, And now Josh Jackson is listed on the depth chart second behind James Bradbury. Like, he all of a sudden it has solidified a roster spot. I didn't know that that was like a thing. And then you think about them going up and going to get Keon uh, Crossan from uh, Houston, to, who can who can play some some cornerback, you know, special teams type of guy. Like we haven't seen him really do anything for the Giants yet. So like, is he going to make the roster? Like, yeah, well, without, ever, quick note on him: Crossan and uh, Cam Brown. They were the they were the primary punt gunners all all day yesterday with the starters. So that's what Crossan's role is going to be. Like that that's what he was brought. You know, special teamer. That's his role. And if you see those two guys playing it, that that's how Cam Brown's going to solidify his roster spot as well. But but to your point, what else is going on here and behind them? And I think we've enjoyed Williams and how he's looked out there. He's gotten a lot of reps, and yet you're still talking about a young player. Where is he going to be best suited to work? And I. You know, I I think I'll point out another bright spot for the defense. That was Julian Love. He played really well yesterday, and it just seems like in year three, he he's starting to really get it. They talk about his eye, his football IQ being high. Maybe he's going to get spread around there a little bit as well. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if I'm that. I'm not overly concerned about it because you're talking about having Bradbury and you're talking about having a Dory Jackson. Like, I just you know, not a lot of teams can boast that type of talent at the top of the depth chart. So I'm willing to say. Whoever it is behind them, it is who it's behind them. And when you need those reps, you're going to look for them, right? Darnay Holmes is solid. We, we we don't know what Aaron Robinson's going to be yet for us as he tries to come back from his injury, but I'll live with that, right? And I I think those trades and those moves are were indicative enough to me that the Giants were like, listen, we're really strong at the top and we'll live with the results behind. Yeah, well, Adam, one other thing I wanted to touch on on the 53 that yeah. I think every, everyone is curious about is what's going to happen with the wide receiver room. How many are they going to take and who are they going to take? And, you know, based on what I saw yesterday, I think we obviously know that there's basically four guys. When you talk about Galladay, Slayton, Shepard, and Tony, mm-hmm. you know that those four are going to be there no matter what, right? Like, I'm, I set those in stone. 
The question is, how many wide receivers do the Giants take? Because that takes a spot away from somewhere else. So you look at a guy like Keon Crossan, who's contributing on special teams. He may make it on the roster at, as a result of someone else not making it. So first question is, how many wide receivers do you think they take? And then the second is, between the rest of that group, like John Ross, CJ Board, David Sills, like Dante Pettis got extended run in, in that game. That's four guys where you could almost flip a coin and say, yep, that guy may, may be able to make it. Like, what's your thoughts? Yeah, uh, listen, I, I'll, I'll go back to this again. I think Pettis, he, he showed up pretty well, and they gave him starting reps. Like, I think that obviously with the injuries there at the position, and specifically maybe John Ross as far as where you are in the pecking order, he's not available. Pettis gets to go out there. I thought he looked solid. He had an opportunity when Glennon was quarterbacking in the second half to catch a little sideline ball that he did not bring in. I I don't know if that's make or break for him getting there, but I thought that Pettis played pretty well. And again, like I, he's not a, he's not a wow you kind of receiver. And yet he is experienced and he has shown that he's capable of playing in the, in an NFL offense and obviously has ties from last year. I, I think Sills makes it because he's had a very solid season, a uh, preseason, very solid training camp. But what, here's, what's interesting to me, right? Like you say, you're carrying six or are you going to carry seven? If you're carrying seven, like who else, who else, if you needed another spot, say John Ross is hurt, you're going to occupy a spot on this roster for a hurt receiver that hasn't shown consistency of being able to be healthy in his entire career. Like, where's the cutoff going to be five wide receivers to open it up for another roster spot? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know where you're supposed to go here. And if I can only operate on what I've seen in preseason and such a small sample size for starters, Willis has been as impressive as any other, you know, young back end wide receiver has been. Like, that's the next most consistent guy after Sills in terms of those back-end guys. Well, yeah, I think you hit something with, with Sills. I mean, he dominated his cornerback, albeit second string, third string. Mike Glenn couldn't get him the, the couldn't, spot, could, though. Yeah, yeah could, couldn't get him the ball. Like, there was one deep ball that Glennon threw Sills. Yes, and he threw 15, 15 yards over his head. If that's Daniel Jones, that's a touchdown, hands down, right? So, like, yeah. that type of guy getting that type of separation – to me, I, I'm the most bullish on him out of out of the the mix. But oh God, I'm so, I'm sorry, dude. I got to completely I, just I completely didn't say CJ Board. It, yeah, so that's what I, I was. No, no, my, yeah, no, yeah, my yeah. mention, my next thing was going to say Willis doesn't have a Willis shot at making the roster because really what I'm talking yeah, CJ uh, practice squad. Sorry, CJ Board. You know, yes. really, this preseason is like the Swiss Army knife. Like he can he can he can help on special teams. He can do some end around plays. He's a good, if, if, like, he's not great, but he's a good wide receiver in terms of being a, a fifth or sixth wide receiver. He just has too many dimensions to him where I think, honestly, like that last roster spot comes down to what, what they think of John Ross. Like we haven't seen him at all out there. And and it's like, is it nice, nice to know you, like short time, see you later? Or is it like we've invested in him we're going to put him on injured reserve. We're going to just keep him off to the side and let some other guys perform while he still gets back to health. I don't CJ know. Board but and, and, and Sills for the fifth and sixth spots. That's 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 where my head goes because yeah. Pettis has come on. It's a little too little too late. I think Sills gives you more upside. And I, I think CJ Board gives you more in the special teams and other areas that Pettis doesn't necessarily give you. So for me, that, I, I'm, I'm locked in on CJ Board and Sills, but it's it's tough. John Ross is such an enigma. It's like everyone's expecting like he brings this whole verticality and deep speed burner stuff. But like when you have a bum hamstring, you can't run fast. Like it's pretty, it I, I, I read it in a science book. 
right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's science, friends. But it feels like Corey Coleman, right? Like this guy that you thought and then you bring him in and it just never pans out because guess what? He ends up getting hurt because that's what happens to him. Like sometimes these narratives that, that follow a player around are legitimate. And that's where you, I, t- to me, I don't need the tantalizing of what John Ross could be. I want to, I want the guy that has proven it. And you mentioned about Pettis and CJ board. I'll just say quickly, special teams value for CJ board, obviously. And then the other thing that he did though, on the offensive side was like, he's really good at running those 10 to 12 comeback routes on the outside and securing the ball. Like he has also been incredibly consistent. And that's what I think you want when you're talking about Kenny Galladay is going to miss a game or Canarius Tony's not ready to start the season. Okay. Then let, then let's go ahead and make sure we keep the guys around that have shown us the consistency. And maybe that's, that's the, my point about Willis was like, when I look for consistency, Bachman caught a touchdown yesterday. I'm like, right. But you also dropped like a thousand balls this preseason. So I just, I can't rely on you if I had to put you in there. So it's like, that's what I want to see. Who's been the most consistent. And in that pecking order, it probably goes Sills, CJ board. And then ironically, strangely enough, Willis is somehow that guy. And why I hope he makes it to the practice squad. I know I'm talking about an inconsequential piece, but. So Adam, the, the rubber meets the road Tuesday, August 31st, 4 p.m. That is the deadline to make the final roster cuts. And what I think is ironic for the Giants is that we are going to make these roster cuts. We're going to get down to 53. And if Giant fans think they can finally take a sigh of relief and say, ah, our lineup is set going into the season, my friends, there is still probably quite a bit of action that's going to go on, especially seeing some of these other more talented, deeper teams have to make tough decisions and, and take down some roster cuts. Do not be surprised if this 53-man roster drastically changes between tomorrow at 4 p.m. and what the, the roster looks like against the Denver Broncos week one. Last note that I want to leave you with, Gary Brightwell came in after Booker and got reps with the starters over Corey Clement. I don't look at that as simply being, well, Corey Clement is 100% set in his role because Booker played. And Booker is 100% set in his role. So why wouldn't you just, why not run out? Platts, Gummer, and Brightwell, if you're going that route. This was about starters. And even though his rushes, I think four for 10, not great, caught a few passes for 20 yards. Like, I think that this may have been the opportunity for Brightwell to show you are worthy of being carried as the third back slash fourth with Eli Penny there. I wouldn't be shocked if Corey Clement is one of the is one of the cab casualties tomorrow afternoon as well, just because of the way it all breaks down and, and what you saw from Eli Penny, what you saw from Booker the last couple of weeks. Unless you're going to be a special team contributor as well, I think Corey Clement is maybe a little bit too little too late. Combined with, you shouldn't have fumbled that ball. Uh, remember that one fumble? You remember when you fumbled that ball? Like that was the thing you couldn't do this preseason in the eyes of the Giants. Yeah, a couple interesting spots on the roster. At the end of the day, the Giants are going to cut this down. Uh, from 70-something, 70 71, down to, down to 53. The wide receiver room is, is definitely one to look at. The cornerback room is is one to look at. And a, as you talk about, the, the running back slash fullback position, how are they going to go about it, who they're going to carry, will be interesting. I will be waiting, hanging on to every single newswire that comes across at 4 o'clock to see who the Giants have faith in and who they're putting their chips in for week one against them. We'll be back in Wednesday, breaking it down, seeing what we like or are surprised by potentially from the 53. Follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast, obviously on YouTube as well by the same moniker. And until next time, in some level of optimism, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and demand that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 